my dream was to um, spend my career in fashion, spend as much time in fashion as I could. And I spent 30 years. So in, I think the end of the 90s, uh, our generation would implement um, implement computers, working on computers. We began that process, implementing computers to work um, in fashion, working in fashion industry. Um, another thing actually started happening as well. The production was being um, outsourced to China and to different countries. That 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 started happening. So that's why you don't see garment district uh, as it was uh, before. Now all because it was absolutely full. The whole actually area from downtown Manhattan to um, to about like. 40, 40, you know, second street, they were factories everywhere. Everything was done domestically. My, um, I started kind of, I, I grew uh, in the industry, changed professions in the industry as the industry changed. But let's talk about closerity. This is- Okay. Hello, welcome to Underdressed, the podcast where we talk about the clothes under our clothes and exactly how they get made. My name is Trudy Gardner. I'm the freelance designer behind Wayfinder Lingerie. In this show, I'll be exploring the art, practice, and technical execution of intimate apparel. We'll be taking a behind-the-scenes look at this industry and trying to understand exactly how designers balance creativity with functionality, specifically as it pertains to our hardworking yet delicate base layers. Thanks for listening. I'll see you in the show. Hi friends, welcome, welcome back. Aussie Afros is on the podcast with me today and our conversation went almost over two hours talking about, you know, the things that I'm passionate about, the intimate apparel industry and the history of the industry and where it is today and where it's going. And I love sharing her story with you because her personal story is very interesting. She was an immigrant that came over to New York from Russia and she talks about how that happened and how she came up through the industry through the 80s and the 90s and how it's transitioned through that period of time which I thought was incredibly fascinating because I'm always exploring what is happening right now in the industry and the way that we're incorporating close 3D or other 3D design processes into the development and production of these garments and it was really interesting to get Aussie's perspective on on how things are changing and and why they're a little bit slow to change. And then we kind of go really far into the future talking about different kinds of sustainable materials, which gets quite fascinating. So I hope you enjoy the podcast. As always, I enjoyed um, recording it. Um, a couple of announcements for you. I am in the process of updating my course on Clo3D. So if you are interested in using Clo3D specifically for intimate apparel, go check it out. Um, I'm also currently participating in a workshop that's hosted by Kristen Anderson. And we are just, it's a free online workshop that we're doing. We've done two 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 sessions already and we have two to go. Um, and I will drop the links in for that as well so you can go check it out if you're interested in using Clo3D for intimate apparel because if you've been listening to the podcast or you're connected with me in any way you know that I love using that um, software specifically for the development of 
uh, intimate apparel garments. Um, so without further ado, I will let you go. Enjoy the podcast and we'll talk soon. Okay. Hello, Asi. Welcome to the podcast. I'm very excited to have you on today. Hi, Trudy. It's a pleasure to be here and thank you so much for having me. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So today we have Asi. Is it Asi or Aussie? Um, both are good. They're, they're pretty close. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Today we have Aussie. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with Aussie. Aussie Afros on the podcast. And I discovered you through your own podcast, which um, is published on YouTube. And I'll for sure put in all the links for this below. But um, you've been in the industry for a really long time. And you are an immigrant to America from Russia. And we'll definitely get into that story because it's pretty amazing. You built yourself a whole career in the lingerie industry. And now you're writing, um, writing about the industry and doing some podcasting about it. So um, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. Um, okay, so I wanted to start because I've been listening to your podcast, and you always ask this question. So the question I want to start with is, who was your mentor oh my goodness um I had so many <laughs> mentors I I don't think I've ever stopped uh learning and studying so every book I read is you know the author is my mentor uh, mm, my books, grandma yeah. mother <laughs> was was amazing um teacher to me in terms of life I spent a lot of time with her and she taught me everything I know. She used to sew, she used to knit, she used to cook. And um, yeah, she made all my beautiful dresses and her dresses. And from just spending all this time with her, she was very creative. I really wanted to be somewhat close. And uh, my dream was to um, spend my career in fashion spend as much time and passion as I could. And I spent 30 years. So, <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, you, you definitely my, filled that out. Yeah, great mentor. But she also taught me other things. Uh, she was from that great generation who um, uh, actually lived in their younger years during the uh, World War II. And she was in Russia and she had to take her six months old daughter back then and move to the middle of the country because so that away from occupation, from German occupation. And um, I just learned the amazing uh, way of perseverance that she had mm -hmm. about her. It's a very strong generation. Oh, my God. And um, and just respect for everything, because if you come from a place where you don't have anything, that everything you do have, you appreciate. So much more so, value. It gives everything so much more value when you don't have, you oh, have so this true. abundance of everything to always access. Exactly. And I kind of learned with this. I think I'm a, a little bit of a minimalist. I've discovered it just recently, but you can mm -hmm. see like my... Even my background <laughs> tells the story. Um, having having less but more meaningful things, and it's it's kind of followed me through my life. And but also she taught me a love for creation, 
because I watched her knit, knit socks. She she used to in the summer I would spend summer with her and she would knit socks for the whole family. And uh, I don't know if you know knitting. It's you have like four. Your sock is held with four knitting needles, and you have a fifth needle to create all these loops and weave you know, the thread into the sock. It's entertaining. Oh my God. So I learned that and she taught me how to sew. She sewed all my amazing dresses, like polka dots and flowers. And her dresses were actually works of art. This was a flowering, blooming crepe de chine and chiffon. So um, yeah, and she wasn't like a little woman. She was quite large. I would say she was about like size 20 in American sizes, but oh my God, she carried herself so well. Mm -hmm. So yeah, she was my mentor in so many ways. <laughs> oh, beautiful. That's a great story. Um, okay, so since we're since we're here, can you tell us a little bit about your life in Russia and how you came to, to uh, New York? Yes, of course. Um, so yeah, I was born in the Soviet Union, <laughs> in a communist country in the former Soviet Union. And um, I can say that my childhood was difficult. It wasn't, uh, we were not rich, but we had everything we needed. So it was just kind of, you know, very nice uh, childhood where a lot of people cared about me. I was the only one child and I was the only child of my moms and, and, uh, for a long time, the only child in the whole very big family. And my grandmother had um, seven siblings and my grandfather had nine siblings. And um, I had enormous amount of grown up cousins, second and third cousins, and they would all gather in our house for holidays. And I would sit under the table and listen. And I remember it was about six years old and they all spoke about um america they spoke about leaving the country because the country was closed a closed country i don't know if you even can imagine what it is but we did not have any communication we didn't travel uh overseas nobody very few people would come in into russia we didn't interact with people from other countries or if, if we did it was a i don't know the holiday marked on our calendar it was exotic and and um, my, I guess, need for freedom was born right then and there where I heard all these stories how uh, one of the relatives actually left the country for good in the 70s. And, um, and we didn't even like listen to news. We, I remember my grandfather sitting in the bathroom because so that he doesn't uh, interfere with anybody else uh, with this very noisy, um, I don't know how it's called, radio, here we go, very noisy radio trying to find uh, BBC or any channel from, you know, from outside the country because they were, um, it was prohibited to listen to these channels. Okay, and but he could pick them up sometimes on his radio? Yeah, through okay. horrible noise, you know, if okay, you go yeah. to the both sides of the wave, you could kind of listen to the bits of words. Okay, <laughs> and, and could you speak English? Could you guys speak English? No, it was it was uh, actually uh, 
uh, done in Russian. It was, you know, already translated. We did not speak English. I, I was studying English a little bit uh, at school, but later. Okay. <laughs> so, but anyway, so any bits and pieces of information I was shared around the table, I would, I would just, you know, um, soak up as the sponge. And my one of my dreams uh, was to immigrate to United States since I was six. So that was one. And, uh, and then uh, also to graduate from college, to get married and to have a son, which I, which I did all that before I was 25. Was it a um, son specifically or just, just a child? The child, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I uh, yeah, I have a son too, but I I always imagined that I would have a daughter. So when I first found out that he was going to be a boy, I was like super disappointed. Really? <laughs> but then you know how it is. Really like now, I would never change him for the world. Oh, I know, but I think sons are so sweet with mothers. It's mm. like the it's, it's, it's amazing. It's yeah, I do. Yeah. He is like the center of my life for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Sorry. I interrupted your story. So, um, you, so that was your dream was to come to America and the second dream. Well, the second dream was to graduate from college, um, uh, which I've done and, and then, uh, get married. And I oh, got right. married, get married when I was really son. young okay. when I was 18 and had my son when I was 20. So by, by the time, um, I had my son, I was kind of, okay, so all I have to do now is to get my family and leave the country. Um, and a miracle happened actually around the time both countries, United States and Russia opened their borders, but you could leave Russia only to a direct relative and only to Israel. So, uh, my husband's relative who lived, who immigrated in, <laughs> around in the 70s in the first wave, actually contacted somebody else, another person in Israel, because he lived in the United States with the same last name, and they sent literally a fictitious invitation. And uh, and when I when when I received this invitation, it was like one of the happiest days <laughs> of my life. And um, we had to go through a very lengthy process of uh, signing all the papers. All people that I knew in the United States were supposed to sign my release. You know, the dean of college was supposed to let me go. So everybody, you know, it's it's like the wedding, you know, does it <laughs> when you when they ask, does anybody uh, is against this marriage? <laughs> you know, speak or hold your peace. So it's kind of the same process. You collect signatures. It's a two months. Oh my goodness. And, and this is like all pre-internet days, right? So like oh, all absolutely. of this is being done like in person, okay. on paper, or through yes. the mail. Yeah. Yes. And uh, so we had to fill out the uh, enormous um, list of requirements and send it all to Moscow for approval. And then we got it back in two months. And... Uh, I remember my husband, when we got it back, when the decision was positive, that they are letting us leave, my husband said so. <laughs> okay, you wanted that, now you go. <laughs> <laughs> he was so afraid. So um, anyway, but we also were stripped of our citizenships and, and our passports were taken away. 
and we literally had a very bizarre set of papers in Russian, uh, you know, before leaving. But the, thank God there was this organization that kind of helped us through. But you also couldn't leave directly. You couldn't board the plane to United States because um, the process was that you were supposed to go to Austria first and uh, go and have an interview at Israeli consulate. And then they will, you would tell the story why you left and where you want to go. And when we said that we really want to go to United States, then instead of sending us to Israel, they, they sent us to Italy. It was like a multi-step process. In Italy, we had to go to American consulate and explain why we want to go oh to the United States and then wait. And we waited. We were very lucky back then. We waited only five weeks because nobody knew when you would get uh, permission to go. And uh, after five weeks, I remember there was this woman knock, knock on the door. She came to, the, we, we shared villa with two other Russian families, immigrants. Uh, we lived in uh, uh, Santa Marinello. I think it's it's like one hour outside of Rome. And she said, uh, Ephra's family, you're going to America tonight. You're boarding oh. the plane at one in the morning. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and um, then we went. We boarded the plane and were in the United States in about 24 hours. <laughs> oh my goodness, that is quite a story. And I mean, it's it's hard for us to imagine all of that, you know, you get to tell it in in five minutes here, but um, that's months and months of your life and, and the challenges and the um, emotional ups and downs that you would have faced going through all of that, I'm sure... Um, made you very resilient to to all the future challenges that you faced in your life oh thank you yeah it's my grandmother's teachings <laughs> you know <laughs> my, my mentor um so yeah yeah and when we uh arrived finally at uh jfk uh it happened that it so uh there was this jewish organization nayana that helped us through the journey. And of course we had to pay all the, you know, ticket fares, everything back to her afterwards. But it was, uh, we were held in, um, during our flight, we were held in London for about 24 hours and arrived very late at night into JFK, at night uh, of Rosh Hashanah, which is a Jewish holiday. So the organization was not there to, invite us <laughs> to New York and nobody was there actually so we were I remember where I was standing holding my son in my arms he was sick he got sick you know on the road and it was one o'clock in the morning we barely spoke English and we had no idea where to go oh and it was very interesting interesting moment because my dream had come true <laughs> yeah yeah this is it this is the dream <laughs> yeah so, so, and then we saw, and there were a couple of families, not just us. There were a number of families who were just like evacuated from, you know, from Italy on the same plane. Um, we, I just kind of saw this um, uh, Hasidic Jewish man just kind of going to all these people, like 
speaking to all this um our you know uh friendly immigrants <laughs> that came to this plane and he said uh finally i heard you and i understood this even he said it in english i don't care about nayana uh we're gonna take you in so they put us and he put us in caps there was another man who was helping him they put us in caps and we, we were going somewhere and i didn't know where we were going and I couldn't care less because I was so tired. Yeah. So, and these people, they uh, were a Hasidic Jewish community from Forest Hills. They brought us to their houses. I still, I still cry when I tell the story mm -hmm, every time. That's beautiful. Never fails. And yeah, we spent holidays with them until um, the Nayana, until Nayana opened after Rosh Hashanah. And then we were, of course, connected with the organization and uh, we who started like a normal onboarding process. But it was amazing. And I ask myself every time, would I take somebody I don't know from airport, from a different country into my house? Oh, <laughs> so my answer is probably no, but uh, <laughs> oh my God, they, they were amazing. That was yeah. this act of altruism and that I've never even encountered before, before or after that that time. So yeah, that was so <laughs> And that's how you got to America. That's a that's great story. America. That's so beautiful. Thank, Thank you, you for sharing that. Um, because and I, I, I ask about people's histories. I often start with like, what's your story? Where did you come from? Because um, as designers, the stories of our life inform the way that we make decisions in the future about anything, creative decisions or just decisions about um, how we attack the work that we're doing. And um, so um, I'm interested into switching gears a little bit now and talking about your career in the lingerie industry. And um, can you maybe tell us about how, how that evolved? Of course. Um so my career spent um it, it's a span of about 30 years just a little more than 30 years it evolved through so many changes in uh, the industry uh so i started in the beginning of 90s and um, and back then and i didn't start in uh intimate apparel i actually my first job was a temporary assistant of sample cutter as I remember correctly I started on the very bottom uh to learn to learn the industry because uh, as much I as what I knew how we created clothes in Russia I also understood that here in the United States there were just different methods methods of working in garment creation for instance we would in Russia pattern making was extremely strong and very little of draping and however in fact here in the United States draping was very in so a lot of things were draped first and then mm. uh, was created and just it's just one but also to learn English it was, it was a whole process of learning and um, so I started in dresses uh, because back then dresses you know shallow dresses were very in <laughs> it was 
But then, like looking back at this, I think it's such a horrible way of dressing. <laughs> it was, it was very in with big white colors. What um, what kind of dresses? What did you say? Shelly, Shelly, Shelly dress, rayon, yes, uh, printed and buttons and lace colors. It's something you Elaine would wear in Seinfeld. <laughs> you know? Okay, okay, gotcha. Yeah, it's in the beginning. In the beginning um, of the series, so um, but I, as a creator, I can't just be assistant cutter <laughs> or whatever for long. So I made myself kind of uh, learn as quickly as I could. So yeah, in the, in about three years, I left the company uh, as a designer. So I, you know, from assistant cutter when. I became a designer assistant, and then I was uh, promoted to de- to designer position. Can we take However, a, a step back? Um, how did you get that position originally as as a pattern cutter, coming from Russia, and now you're in New York? I went to uh, quite a number of interviews, but mm. back then, fashion industry was very lucrative. It mm. was a very lucrative uh, career, and um all based in New York in garment district everything was done in-house so people like uh, myself were in demand everybody needed a great assistant designer everybody needed a designer it was just such a welcoming industry um just booming it was booming garment district um unfortunately I actually was sitting in the once in the in uh, Bryant Park, and um, a girl with the microphone came to me and just asked to tell a little bit about the area. So back then, and you guys haven't seen it because you you were born later, much later. But it was amazingly booming industry. Like you couldn't walk in the garment district because there were trucks, there were um, you know production buildings, there were design studios and uh, the trucks were always loaded and unloaded there were models everywhere on 7th avenue <laughs> there was a gathering during lunchtime you'd find a gathering of about 40 pattern makers men italian mostly dressed in black and I, I saw this and, and I asked around, they said, what is that? <laughs> and my colleagues, they said, oh, l- l- listen, if you ever need a job, just go there. So that was indeed, that was LinkedIn. Oh, yeah. you know, and <laughs> so if you need it, right, if you need it, you just go there, explain what you're looking for, explain your skills, you'll get a job. That's that's how that's amazing. amazing it was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and everything was done by hand. I draped, I created patterns. Um, I would go to the company, you know, accessory, accessories, <laughs> accessory company to find buttons. It was just uh, unbelievable. You could not get literally any information, uh, any inspiration while sitting in your office. Like what we do now, like we can get all inspiration we want for, for designing, without leaving your office, your room, your home, just by, you know, sur- surfing the net. Yeah. No internet. Back. No, no, it was what was in front of your eyes in real life. None, 
Exactly. You had to leave your office. You had to go shopping to different stores or you have to leave the country shopping in different countries. Oh, that's incredible, Asi. Like you really just opened my eyes to something like I never really thought of before. But like even myself, like all of my learning has been done online. And then like my own like actual practice is what I see physically. And I have a few pieces because like good laundry is very expensive, but like I've never really had the experience to like go to New York and see like a whole shop of lingerie. Like my experience with it is 90% online. So this is, I love this. I love the image that you're painting for me right now. Oh, good. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Um, so yeah, so that was, um, yeah, there was there was absolutely so much more physical movement, physical connection, tactile experiences because everybody would uh, have to go and touch things to make sure you know, especially for intimate apparel that they felt good, that they're not scratchy. So, and I know what you what you're saying because now with all you know software available online in and even even the uh, material search is online is now developing a lot of um a lot of people who came from you know traditional textile industry is having a little bit of problems trusting oh man you're giving me so much insight right now because like that's you know my work is digital right like I, I do I produce digital garments meant to be turned into physical garments like that it's I'm not just producing digital but um I've I've had this like big question mark always in my brain is like why why are why is the industry so hesitant to move towards digital garments and and now this this gives me such a good foundation of like where is it coming from you know like where like this is like the foundation of the industry was based on what you're describing to me right, right now so this exactly. is very interesting yeah I, I know I love talking about it because it's just I think what what you 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 said something incredibly deep. You said that the story of designers, that their life story, affect their creativity and their work. Exactly absolutely. the decisions they they make and the way they make decisions. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's interesting for me to see the transformation. You know, of the industry going from completely tactile and completely local to all you know online and worldwide (laughs) that that would happen that would happen so um that was the 90s in I think the end of the 90s um our generation would implement um implement computers working on computers we began that process implementing computers to work um in fashion working in fashion industry um, another thing actually started happening as well. The production was being um, outsourced to China and to different countries. That 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 started happening. So that's why you don't see garment district uh, as it was uh, before. Now all because it was absolutely full. The whole actually area from downtown Manhattan to um, to about like. 40, 40, you know, second street, they were factories everywhere. Everything was done domestically. Um, design was done in-house. Pattern making was done in-house. Grading was done 
close, not in house, but you would bring patterns to a grader. Grader would come in, patterns were hanging on the wall. You know, you would prepare pattern for the for the grading, write instructions. Somebody would pick it up, bring to the grader. They would, you know, um, by hand, <laughs> uh, put it on paper, you know, create markers by hand, create all the pieces out of um, uh, cardboard, kind of thicker paper and um, send you your marker on a roll of paper, which I would have to check. So, so with that, my, um, I started kind of, I, I grew uh, in the industry, changed professions in the industry as the industry changed. So after leaving my first company as, as designer, I became a production pattern maker in the next one because that was upgrade of my salary <laughs> another another my of my dreams was buying a house so i had to i had to go up and up and up so i finally you know get enough money for um down payment so that kind of pattern making wasn't exactly what i wanted i always wanted to be a designer but uh that gave me a very good understanding of production pattern making and grading and marking processes because it was very hands-on for me, literally, you know, uh, that everything was done by hand. But when I started seeing how production is being moved to China and with that, um, because you, you, you kind of had to now, the pattern making process without out of your hands because you will not you know send paper patterns to factory on, in China all the time um the profession of technical designer came about uh where you would have to give instructions and measurements to a pattern maker in China who would then create your patterns grade it and uh make markers and then they would cut and sew. So all that, like um, all these processes, besides design, were outsourced. So, you know, I had to then, um, and then and then to connect to China, you would have to also implement your emails and any type of Excel sheets, Excel sheets that you needed. And then later, you know, as, as a designer, we started, uh, learning um, design programs like Illustrator and Photoshop. So that again was just continuous learning process and changing with the industry. Um, uh, so I were you worked... using Gerber um, as a pattern maker? No, actually, I I stopped being pattern maker <laughs> right before the Gerber became okay. uh, this system. Uh, I, you know, I, uh, back, uh, when that became a system, I already went back to designing in my other, okay. in my other, uh, jobs. Okay. Uh, so just so I understand. So before that, before Gerber came about, pattern making was all done by hand. And then, um, and then it moved to China where, um, the technical designer developed, and pattern pattern making that skill sort of also moved to China, but then when Gerber came about, um, I think then you could have pattern makers probably in house again. Exactly, okay. I'm sure it all over overlapped a little bit, but um, right. that's interesting. Yeah, and every company would now then design their own way of creating. You know, if they if they had really 
so I, I guess it's what it is. If they don't have or they don't trust their pattern makers uh, overseas, they will take it in house. Mm. And um, it's, it's always like this, you know, if, if you feel like you're not getting um, what you need from whoever you're working with, you try to kind of um, get a little more authority over it. Right, exactly, yeah. compensate. Yeah. But yeah. also the authority and, and uh, control, that's another very interesting um, aspect of outsourcing something. Because when you have everything in house, everything within a few blocks, you can visit literally. Yeah. You you can literally say like, no, I want that button to be moved down one centimeter. Like, and you can point to the actual like garment, right? Exactly. So, uh, and when you, you send it to different country, you kind of have to develop a different system of trust. Uh, but, you know, I guess technical designer position in this case is very important because uh, it starts the process of outsourcing. It prepares the database. You know, it kind of describes what you want, what the, the result you want to have. You send it all to China and they go through the process. They go through the, you know, pattern making, grading, marking, cutting, uh, sewing process. And then they send you uh samples back again and here here you, you come you now now you check what they did so that was a very like technical designer is really a very important uh position when dealing with overseas production absolutely yeah, but, but it's it's about releasing control <laughs> it's yeah. for, for a while you know for right. a while yeah. for the, the you know duration of few weeks so that was very interesting psychological psychological uh I guess development that had to right happen. yeah it changed from being able to look at the garment that you want and make changes to it to needing to communicate the garment that you want and then wait wait to get it back so that you can like communicate changes to it so true yes it's like a, a storytelling right <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I found that um, just before we go, I guess we, we, we want to segue into close reading. <laughs> and it's, we'll get um, there for sure. I feel it is right, which is fantastic subject. Um, uh, what were we going to say? Um, hmm, never mind, I forgot. Okay. Um, we were talking about pattern making and then technical design, releasing control, getting it back. Um, yeah, maybe it will come to me. First okay. of all, probably wasn't important. <laughs> right. Um, I do want to get to Clothe 3D because it's this is exactly where um, I guess designers get a little bit more control back into their practices. Um, but I wanna, I wanna, I wanna finish the evolution of your story first. So um, you, uh, so you did, so you went from assistant cutter to pattern maker and then and then you moved into designer technical design. and you bought a, and you bought a house <laughs> i'm sorry and you bought a house right i bought the house um yeah after five years of living in the united states i bought a house which which i'm still living in <laughs> oh, nice. and um yeah and and then and um 
And then I guess I, I don't know where I, I remembered it, but every two years I would get extremely antsy at any job. I don't know why, maybe because um, I love innovation. I love something new. I love learning something new. Um, I love creating. So it was always kind of two years would be like, uh, first year I will be learning because I would mm -hmm. always get another job way above my means, way above my knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> because when I, when I, let's say, for example, when I took a position of production pattern maker, I literally haven't cut production pattern once in my life. <laughs> <laughs> I bought production uh, pattern maker scissors and pattern maker scissors, I don't know if you saw them, they were huge, like this big, very heavy, so that I could cut paper right before I took my job, like right before I started. You know, like I get it. No, I get it though. And it comes back to what we were saying. Like it's something in my personality as well, where I feel like I can do things, whether I've done them or not. Like, like I feel like I'm like, I'm because of like, things that I've done in my past I'm like okay I did that I can do this and that's the same thing with you right like it's you like going through that transition um in your life just like all of the challenges that you had to tackle and all the problems that you had to solve logistically coming from Russia to America all the various countries in between and all the paperwork that you had to figure out it gives you this like I don't even want to use the word confidence, but it gives you this, just the knowledge that, okay, it can be done. Even if you haven't done it before, it can be done. So um, if you ever listen to like any um, like self-help, like ideas out there, it's challenge yourself. Always, always challenge yourself because even if like, it's not the necessarily path that you want to go on, it just gives you that reassurance that even if it's not like even if it was difficult it can be done and so you can get to the places that you want to go when you can when you know that you can do hard things to get there absolutely and you, again very deep um understanding of human psychology it is it is kind of confidence and confidence i feel uh is something it's it's it comes from the uh, track of uh, previous successes. Mm -hmm. So if you've succeeded a few times before, and this this is confidence, knowing that you've succeeded and that knowing that you will be able to succeed in the future. It's um, important. It's such an important you know, topic for any type of career or any type of entrepreneurship career mm -hmm. uh, journey um there is it's like this little voice got feeling that you can do it you know <laughs> that's yeah. the thing that yeah. propels everybody forward um actually this is a good time um because that comes part and parcel with failure as well so the first the first tackle the first the first thing you have to tackle is to accept the challenge like I'm, I'm going to try to do this difficult thing and having little wins helps you to like keep going and, and try other difficult things but um failing at something or not succeeding at it can can step you back so can you talk to us a little bit about how you address failure or or is there any examples of times that you haven't succeeded in what you've done and 
how you've like still been able to like put that aside and move forward with the things that you wanted? Um, hmm, failure, failure. Um, I, you're absolutely correct. First, first of all, you're absolutely correct. Failure. And I noticed it only actually in the last three years after I've gone through my personal, very steep <laughs> growth curve, um, <laughs> through meditations and other mm -hmm. techniques, yoga and, uh, reading enormous amount of self-improvement books, but failure was actually, I was raised where it's not an option. Mm. So um, uh, I don't know. I Only in the last probably three years, I allow myself a failure. I think, I think it's a sign of certain maturity, which I've just, just <laughs> acquired. <laughs> you know? um, I, it wasn't, it wasn't um, a uh, option for me, but I, I, in the beginning, I got fired from one of the positions and I thought my world is coming to an end. That's how goal-oriented I was back then. And I thought I'm losing my identity and my mind. <laughs> and it was in the very beginning, actually, of my career. I mean, the career growth was just overwhelming. I'm a, Now I call myself a recovering overachiever. <laughs> <laughs> I hope I'm succeeding now um, but it, it was always I I had to make it you know it mm -hmm. was just I, I had to I don't know even why it's just like the bottle of excellency was very high in our family everybody mm -hmm. was very hardworking, very dedicated my again gra grandfather my grandmother and my mother were just workaholics and um, and overachievers. <laughs> so I guess, yeah, I only now I started accepting failure for what it is an experience. A part of the journey. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And I do remember now, thank you for pointing my attention to that. I do remember one of the failures in my pattern making experience. Hmm. When I decided to create a, you know, to mark something like a pocket, you have to create a hole in the garment, I mean in the pattern, so that so that put put pocket correctly and not high, not low. But because mm -hmm. I was so goal oriented, so they do put pocket correctly. I insisted on having this hole on the pattern, so it's a dot on the pattern. It's um, a hole is indicated as a dot, and then dot. <laughs> After the, um, so that was the biggest order of my company, by the way. So I was a head pattern maker. It was the biggest order. It was a jacket with a pocket. <clears throat> and and I was thinking about this hole for a couple of days. Should I put it? Should I not put it? And I decided to put it. <clears throat> and when in the factory, they stacked fabric this high, when they, you know, created markers, the hole went from being one position on top to a completely different position on an angle on the bottom. Mm. And then the pocket couldn't cover it. Oh, and, no. and the whole order was rejected. Oh, no. <laughs> I, 
I was fired because I was very important to this wow. company. But oh my God, I remembered it. Oh my God. Oh, wow. That is such an interesting story. Like, I mean, how would you know? How would you know that when the hole gets drilled in the pattern that it's going to shift at the bottom and, and the order is going to be ruined? Like that's, I mean, eh, there's there's so much we can unpack with that. But, yeah. but um, to stick to the point that we're talking about right now, um, that I'm sure that was devastating, right? Like you, like you. Completely mentally, it was completely devastating because yeah. being for, for perfectionist, something like yeah. this ended up to be, you know, oh, just it, the amount of guilt. I felt yeah. Was yeah. Unbelievable, enormous. Yeah. Yeah. And the, and and we can talk about the whole culture of leadership in this case. Like that's another whole <laughs> podcast. I I feel like we could talk about. But um, yeah, emotional, um, it would, yeah, that's just, it's just the kind of thing that takes emotional resilience. You said that um, failure wasn't an option. So you just moved on, like you just moved on, you found other work after that. Um, and, and that that's just part of the journey, right? Absolutely. And now I, and you're so right. And now I, I know it's a part of the journey, but for younger people and, you know, like my son is a complete perfectionist too. Mm. It is, they have to make those mistakes. They have to, they have to make mistakes and they have to live through them. And that will give them understanding of what mistake, mistakes are. We learn best from our own mistakes. So we try Absolutely. to learn from other people's mistakes, but our own, that experience will just, um, it cannot compare it with anything else. Absolutely. So and it, an experience is so value. And actually what bugs me so much about this story is that like you learned that lesson now as a pattern maker and you take that with you wherever you go. So then when they fired you from that company, they've now lost a pattern maker with that experience who know who has learned that lesson. Actually, they, they didn't fire me from that company. Um, they, 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 I worked there for seven years and I left for another company and they, they asked me back. So <laughs> they did, they did take, you know, um, this experience. So they learned their lesson yeah. too. Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. That's actually, that's very, um, I mean, we're all learning. We're all learning, right? We're all learning Absolutely. how to just make it through. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. We live in such imperfect world. Yeah where you know we, we kind of have to give ourselves it's another thing we give ourselves um be, be a little more kind to ourselves mm-hmm. and forgive i think it's all about forgiveness of yeah. ourselves <laughs> um it's also in our very technical world is extremely important as well i'm so glad that you you covered this i'm so glad that you talk about all the feelings you know? yeah <laughs> Well, not just the technical aspect. Yeah. Oh my god! I, I find that they're inseparable, right? Like I, what, like what are we, what, what are, why are we doing anything that we do? And like we care, like we care about lingerie, we care about the development of it, we care about how it's done. It moves us in some way, but we're humans. So, what are the other factors involved that make us care about what we're doing? Right. Exactly, exactly. I think I find psychology is the most important thing now everywhere, everywhere. Um, and uh, just attending also not kind of 
finding this balance between our minds and our bodies and mm. now I, I learned a holistic view a lot mm-hmm. about supporting one like body supports mind and mind yeah. support body like whole entire system Absolutely. but let's talk about close 3d this is okay okay exciting okay <laughs> Um, okay, so um, as you were talking, and I, I, what triggered in my mind was the the way that the in- industry is, has shifted, right? So originally, pattern making was done on paper, in house with your sample maker right beside you. Like, here's the pattern, make the garment. Um, you get you get it back, and the whole team can interact in one room. Production moves overseas, and the development of the garment is now an interaction online between like the technical designer and the overseas designer. And I've like been so privileged to step into the industry now at this point in time where, um, and I'm working with Kristen Anderson right now and I'm helping her to develop her Clothe 3D processes or as a team, we're developing our, our Clothe 3D processes. And it has been so fascinating and satisfying to watch the development of a garment go from so now we we have our technical well we we have a creative designer who who creates the garment and the idea that we want and then she'll also create the tech pack for us that tech pack goes overseas to the factory and before we get our first sample we get the pattern that they make for us so instead of getting a physical garment, we can put that pattern into Clothe 3D. We can compare it to the original sketch and the original um, design intent. And then we can make changes. We can make changes to the garment based on creative design decisions, or we can make changes to the garment based on fit decisions and make changes to the pattern. And then we can send that all back to the factory. Like, here's what we made. Here's the revised pattern. Here's what we expect it to look like. And I feel like it saves so much, so much communication efforts because instead of saying like, um, lower the neckline by three centimeters, and then I hope that looks like what we expect it to look like when it comes back, right? Like we can we can already see that in Clothe 3D. And um, this isn't to eradicate physical samples by any means at all. Like it's still, especially in intimate apparel, we want to feel and touch the garments um, and know how they actually fit on the body. So after that first prototype sample and th- Clothe 3D go- goes out, we get the physical sample, we come back, then we try it on our fit model. But then we take that, if we want to make changes to that, we bring it back into Clothe 3D and then we can make the changes like you want to lower, you want to lower the strap tab by three centimeters or you want to like reduce the width of the flutter on the sleeve. We can bring that into Clothe 3D and really like evaluate whether that decision is going to have the effect that we want it to have. So you've saved yourself another sample right there, right? And these are just little things that... um I feel like I wanted to talk to you about sustainability as well, but just in like the, the efficiency of production, I think it's just, it's been mind blowing. And because it's been like, because I've just stepped into the industry in the past two years, I'm like, why wasn't it always done like this? This makes so much sense. So this is part of the reason why I have the podcast is to just like talk to people like you and get an understanding of the history of where we're coming from and why it's been so difficult for the industry, especially the intimate apparel industry to, um, to go down this path, the digital path. Fantastic. Um, so 
Um, one difficulty, just right away, but I'll, I'll go back also uh, because you touched so many amazing points. I I find well, first the industry is very traditional, you know, and it's it's a little bit slow moving. I totally agree with you, uh, but it had to go through stages. And what uh, prefaced prefaced close three D was was Illustrator, where you could create professional uh, flat models, and for lingerie it's also you have to see all different views you have to see back view side view all different views so that was a uh kind of precursor to <laughs> to close 3d absolutely yeah. where where you could now see everything in dimensions and it can rotate by the way that rotating motion is in my head <laughs> that's how I always designed, you know, it's, I, I, I have this ability, but not yeah. all, all of the people have this ability. So Close 3D gives you enormous of, uh, amount of visual, visual information about the garment. Because I, I remember some of my designers when I then started overseeing all the processes and became, you know, merchandiser. Some of them, some of my designers would forget that about back view completely. Yeah. They would forget what happens in the back. And if you yeah, design, yeah. especially designing asymmetrical things or, you know, uh, something that uh, sits close to the body, it's extremely important, you know, to, to connect your front and back uh, for, all, for all the re reasons. So industry is evolving not as quickly as it could have could have probably because um people love their familiar ways of doing things okay mm -hmm. not everybody is an innovator not not everybody wants to learn and be in this very stressful learning curve all the time <laughs> most of the people just like to take it easy and just Work, just go you know? with the way that things work just do what exactly. works already. use yeah. the experience as opposed to always get outside their comfort zones and feel completely um uncomfortable mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah um another way another thing uh why um it's not moving very quickly maybe because it's intimate apparel in especially bras they sit on very close to our skin and our actual bodies are not these perfect avatars not they're not stiff they're not like mannequins they have um uh, have skins they have fat they have folds our bodies and it's i think it's very difficult to come up with the absolute true model of a person mm -hmm. uh, so that you fit your design in close 3D, um, let's say bra uh, on the person correctly and, and see what it really does. Does it create additional fold on your back? You know, mm -hmm. does it create this, this, you know, creases on the back? How does it fit into your, you know, a song? How does it fit into your backside? Truly, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> yeah. all these things because we're so, it's, that's why it's intimate apparel so intimately connected to the body mm -hmm. uh, that I think I think we unless we have a, a model in front of us it, it's kind of still 
not quite there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And, and I always come, I always emphasize that as a point when I talk about Clove 3D or, or what using 3D design, it's like, it's akin to using um, like a mannequin like uh, like a hard mannequin to to try your garment on so you're definitely losing the human feel of it yeah the fat the skin the the way that the elastic like how tight is that elastic digging into the body or what's the tension on the stitches um they are so um if you follow it all you'll you'll see that there are soft body avatars being developed now which is yeah. fascinating yeah. still very fascinating i t i played around with them a little bit um, this week in Clo 3D, they're still like, they're just kind of like a big marshmallow right now. <laughs> like they're still not like, um, definitely not like a human body yet, but I'm, I'm, I'm happy to see that we're going in that direction. This, this problem has been identified by the industry. Like, why can't we use 3D design for intimate apparel? Bodies aren't soft. So, and now it's nice to see like the, their, the companies that are doing 3D are listening to that, to, at least to some degree. Right. Absolutely. Um, in terms of sustainability, I think Close 3D is a fantastic uh, program. It's a fantastic way to um, create garments uh, because it connects literally the entire cycle of the garment. And I was so like grateful in the later uh, stages of my career when I could oversee the entire operation you know from and be involved in the entire operation from conceptualizing the garment to marketing the garment close 3d is just absolutely invaluable because you start with design you design in it right you could see right away how garments be how garment behaves it's it's immediate feedback. This is something we have not seen in my whole 30 years before <laughs> when I'm in the industry. Unless unless you have amazing imagination, you don't see it until the final garment is created. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it's all in your head. So now it's out of your head and then you're on your computer screen. And not just you, but everybody can see it. And here you can start your selling process before you even created anything. You can use your uh, 3D models uh, for, uh, you know, surveys, you know, you can create surveys exactly. do yeah. you like this or do you like that. So yeah. you can uh, sell it to other people, you know, and not, and not produce things that didn't buy. So exactly. the beginning is already phenomenal, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> it's a firework of options. And then we go from, uh, it's, it's even funny now because <laughs> for me how how amazing it is and, and easy and then you go from that construction immediately into pattern so on one side of the screen you have this garment you just drew and here is your whole pattern you can assign you, you can change everything and now you see immediate change in your 3d model and then you can assign your grading rules and and create your grade your pieces and create your markings and that ready thing that you've already proven so so much in the beginning to your to your factory it's seamless oh my yeah. god and, uh, yeah. and, then, and um and then you can uh you, you can market with this okay mm -hmm. 
So here is your marketing process. You can create, uh, you can uh, use it for selling. You can create your line sheets, I'm sure, right? In uh, in the same program with the mm -hmm. 3D, 3D models. Um, and then you can create a virtual runway. <laughs> and here is your entire cycle of the garment. Of all, yeah, the whole range of products that you've created. Range, How right? do you feel about that? As a designer, I was like, you've seen excellence in design. And I so personally, like the the animations aren't there for me yet. Like, I don't know if the animations are selling me the garments yet. I, I It's another thing that I feel like it's getting better. I, I love to see a garment in motion. Like, I feel like even when I see it on um like a designer's website, when the model's actually moving around and you can see like how the garment is moving, I appreciate that so much more than static photos. And yeah, like, I feel like um, 3D design is when I say and we've been talking about clothes 3D specifically but I'm I'm thinking like any of like the three the 3D design programs just like I some people are like oh I don't know why they're developing the animation side of it because you know that doesn't affect the technical side of it um, well it does uh, like if you could see a garment in motion and see like how does it look when you sit in the garment does it still fit like, like when you put your arms up in the air um, but I'm interested to hear your perspective on it like do you have you seen any any 3D design that that really like grabs your attention yet or do you think it still needs some work when I look at state-of-the-art program like um you know, any 3D could be done by Close 3D or Tukatek or anybody, any other other programs. But when I see it, I see its potential. Yeah. And I totally understand you are uh, you working on this program. I'm kind of seeing the whole thing. I'm, I'm kind of stepping back, looking at the industry, people, you know, working in this. You work with it, and I'm sure it's frustrating. Uh, at this point, because everything I have seen so far, or most of it, 90 percent would not um satisfy sophisticated taste mm -hmm. like yours it's or not anybody. selling the product yeah right yet because yet. everything yeah. like now okay it's developing so quickly and i think so the perfection now in um nowadays perfection cannot be achieved by only one um category of creators Creators from different fields have to get together. Mm -hmm. For instance, if, if creators of Close 3D communicate with the gaming industry that mm -hmm. already achieved enormous amount of perfection in their movement and you know um, in their in their models, the magic magic will happen. And, yeah. and it's it's been with with everything, you know. Yeah. <laughs> People from different industries have to come together to accelerate the development of state-of-the-art technology like this one. But the potential is enormous. And I, I think that very quickly, now you already started seeing this, this marshmallow-looking uh, uh, avatars. <laughs> but I'm, very, I'm an optimist. I'm very optimistic that very soon, since people already identified the problem, it will be perfected to a reasonable level. Uh, everything goes through the beginning stages but the people like you they they attack it they attack the <laughs> new product with amazing potential and bring it to the marketable level absolutely uh, yeah speaking about sustainability i think that 
programs like this that connect seamlessly entire uh, garment creation process have their future in creating the most sustainable uh, products. Uh, I kind of think when I look at everything on different in different aspects of fashion, where it, it's going now, it's to complete customization mm. of of uh, of fashion because now a lot of fashion is produced on mass scale, right? For hypothetical consumer. That's right. That's right. Uh, they narrowed it down to a specific, like narrow range of body type. Here's like we're gonna try and design as many garments as we can fit to fit on this body type and then that's what you get <laughs> exactly and so and 85 I, I think it's about right 85 percent of that is produced utilizing <clears throat> a very uh wasteful method of mm. garments which is cut and sew mm -hmm. like let's make a gazillion body. garments and just hope they sell <laughs> like right and this too and this too, uh, we overproduce in uh, by by horrible amount. Mm. Um, and actually, and I was listening on was it your podcast or another one? There was one on sustainability and overproduction and waste is built into the model of these industries. Like they expect a certain percentage of their product to just not sell and end up in the garbage, the landfill, you know. And exactly. that's so frustrating. It's frustrating. It's not needed in our world that is thriving to be more and more efficient because mm -hmm. we have to, yeah. planet-wise. We just have to become more efficient, less wasteful in everything. In, in everything, you know, yeah. Electricity consumption, fuel consumption, every kind of consumption. Consumption, so, yeah. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So we overproduce, like you are absolutely correct, but we also use this outdated, I think, cut and sew method you know what i mean where we uh use flat fabric to mm. fit our oh right yeah we were talking about this is an interesting one yeah let's let's talk about this so we yeah that's right we use flat patterns right now when we put them onto rectangles of, of fabric because that's the way it's been done it's been done exactly the tradition tradition of doing things um that's how it's been done and this is insane mm. <laughs> Completely insane. I feel like because the the waste is built into this process, into this method. So no matter what you do, how you know brilliant marker you are, mm -hmm. you still can't. You're going to get waste. Yeah. The fabric in, yeah. in you know um, uh, in the world we throw away this fifteen percent worldwide amounts to enormous amount again. Mm -hmm. um, so there are different methods of manufacturing garments now that are enormously efficient. For instance, knitting is much more efficient uh, than cut and sew method. And the newest machines, uh, flatbed machines like Shimaseki machines, they literally knit the entire garment. So, so they, instead of... Um, disassembling a flat piece of fabric and then assembling you use the most efficient way how things are created in nature in nature things grow right it's very efficient there is no waste created around it they just grow they utilize you know like plants um 
we instead using this out you know outdated method of first disassembling things which, which require a lot of time a lot of energy and then assembling them nature doesn't do that it's inefficient so in nature things grow when you look at um so the methods that resemble growth like you know uh, natural process are knitting and 3d printing so let's take knitting knitting uh, the machines now, the new machines like Shimaseki machines are enormously efficient. So and these are the, circular knitting machines. So they are, they're not circular knitting machines. They're called um, the warp knitting or flatbed machines. Okay. But they are perfecting it. Um, I'm not talking about tubular goods, which still you have to cut. Okay, and that's what I was thinking. Um, yeah, because I don't really understand this process. Like, I'll, I'll do some research and see if I can find some links after. But we're talking about, so when we're talking about, like, knitting a garment that where the whole thing can be knit, is this, like, is this a t-shirt? Like, walk me through it. Like, no, how does... it's any garment. <laughs> okay. You can, you can knit uh, bottoms, you can knit, like, leggings, pants, you can knit tops, you can knit underwear, and the entire garment will come out, you know, the top will come out with sleeves out of the machine already pre-finished. So this is crazy. <laughs> this, is, this is, well, they are um, now available. The machines are available, which are extremely efficient. So they not only themselves efficient, they, you know, a high speed consume less energy, mm. less everything. They don't create waste. Mm. yeah because they're literally making the garment is this yeah. limited to a certain type of fabric or is this like certain types of yarns good question so um in addition to machines there are many many companies around the world uh, like lensing or eastman that produce enormously um eco conscious yarns they are clean they use circular processes they clean their water so yarns are 99% uh, just renewable completely sustainable and knitting is now the process of creating garments that is an industrial strength so you can have production um, however only however this it's it's unusual you know, it's uh, it's not so commonly used. It's uh, it's method that just it's new. Okay, it's so new. yeah, people are extremely hesitant <laughs> to use it, even though I think it has enormous potential. It is super sustainable. Mm. It also is seamlessly connected into um, close three D process. Absolutely, yes. This is the wheels are like exactly because here. if you if you load. Um, program into the computer it will generate the entire garment for you mm. and and if and if we could actually like get to the point where we could use close 3d to perfect the fit of a garment and have a pattern that's exactly the pattern that we want and then it plugs straight into the knitting machine or a 3d printing machine 3d printing is a little bit easier to understand i feel like because we've probably been more exposed to like like i can go to my library and bring them a file and have them like 3d print me like anything i want um but i've yeah this is so it's like akin so this knitting these knitting machines are akin to like a 3d printing but they're making instead yeah. of like instead of like melting 
something exactly. and creating exactly. they're actually it's knitting a printing but with yarns okay think, think of it this way okay. and you will get the same um 3d very exact model so yeah. you, you you would knit your you know sweater with sleeves and neck everything finished so no post knitting operations are needed mm. just imagine the potential yeah. of that and how yeah. sustainable it is with yeah, sustainable yarn wow now it's, it's still you know every new technology in the beginning is expensive but when it's adopted on the mass level it will be in, in you know a game changer in terms of saving of everything in terms of efficiency and sustainability Absolutely. So the 3D printing is not quite there. It, it doesn't, it hasn't reached its industrial strength for fashion industry because the materials, I feel like they're not flexible enough. They're not skin friendly. They're just not there, mm -hmm. <laughs> but it's getting there. It will get there. Um, so now imagine that you have this seamless system, right? Of um, from design to garment creation. Now you can uh, personalize it. Mm. You can personalize it to every person because now there are multiple apps created that scan your body in 3D. You get the set of measurements. Imagine that in the beginning of your process. Imagine the library of designs mm. where you can go and, and, and see, you know, oh, this influencer, I want to look like this influencer. I want this yeah. design. Oh, the button. Yeah. I can imagine that. Seamlessly <laughs> into this, you know, process and you you get your, your own design. Uh, I found over COVID, you know, I found how creative people are. I found how, um, how much they care about what they wear and each person has its own style. Some people like like jeans and t-shirts, you know, some people like super high fashion, but they all know what they want, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so everybody has their own, person. everybody has their own, yeah. <laughs> and instead of these like conglomerate companies that are trying to like distill us down to like, here's the range of products that are available to you. Um, and they like, they gear their advertising towards like you wanting to be like that instead, instead of it, that top down, like letting the big corporations feed you what you want. You can decide, you can decide for yourself what you want, what you love, like whether that's for you or whether that's not for you. And it just opens up these, opens up the your own self-expression or even just like the satisfying of what what's meaningful to you what kind of style is like what you want to express right absolutely and that's another very important thing that um we kind of have to cultivate ourselves because there is no other person which is which is just like you mm. literally on the planet which is yeah. just like you ever like ever you. there never has been before there never will be again yeah absolutely mm. so why you know take your uniqueness and dress it into something you don't even believe in yeah 
I when that's like that's the thing before it wasn't available to us like the, these options right. weren't available to us but now they're not yet <laughs> this right. is still we're thinking in the future but yeah but yeah you're right it's going to take a, a shift in mindset but how amazing it is so now there is no overproduction right mm. you can decide what you want when you want it when you need it and mm. create it Exactly. Right. And, and decide whether that's something you need in your life before you create it, before you add more things to the world, you can decide whether you can look at it, see it on your avatar, decide if, decide if it like, if you think that's flattering on your body and fit, like, this is like, we haven't even talked about fit for intimate apparel yet, but like, it's so hard, right. For women to find bras that fit them because it's the same, the same problem. Like we're trying like the, the big companies, or if you're trying to sell a garment, you, you're going to find what's going to fit the most amount of people, like what your size, what your, the size range that you select and the shape that you select for your, for your, let's say, especially like underwire bras, what's going to fit the most amount of people. And that most amount of people is still only like a fraction of the whole population. So you're still leaving a lot of people out so imagine a day when you can take your avatar that has the exact shape, weight, size, softness of the bust that you have and like make a garment that fits that. I I need that day. I want this day because, <laughs> because my, my uh, body is not standard by all means. And mm. it's very hard for me to find something. Um, but yeah, that, that I think is, is just like, kind of everybody's dream country another thing i want to talk about trends a little bit because uh a lot of the fashion based on trends mm. and i've i've done some um trend reports for mint moda it's a forecast trend forecasting agency and i looked at hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of runways by hundreds and of designers and there is no trend when you look at, at runways designers self-express they're yeah. artists and they create garments and then there is a whole kind of uh, small industry micro industry of trend forecasting people that look at um the runways and distill trends because i guess it's i don't even know where it came from you know maybe before there was a trend that lasted a couple of years and there was you know um i don't know everybody kind of you could recognize the 50s and the 60s and because they had different trends this entire decade it now it's a the trend it's a summary of this whole um you I can't know, see it century. until until after okay? it's done it's yeah a, it's a it's a mix it's, mm. a, it's a mix and match of different styles. It's like, it's the different experience, you know, of mm. all the different eras. It's all mixed now because it's like a collective knowledge. The designers already have, you can't unknow, you know, what you know. So they've seen it, they've grown up with it, they've studied it, and now they take it through themselves, express it into something that is, you know, I don't know, hybrid of all these different er eras and, you know, different styles. By themselves, like each garment is very interesting, but there is no trend. 
There is no one trend. They all do different things. They all use different methods. They all self-express. And they all have their own life experiences that they exactly. bring to the to exactly. their design. So they bring yeah. this, you know, um, enormous amount of creativity into these runways. And then people like trend forecasters, they, they go and distill and make it kind of palatable for, I don't know, masses, give companies some direction on, on where to go. Uh, but it, I feel like it's almost a lost art. <laughs> mm-hmm. The runways, the, the designs that designers put out. Um, I feel like for people, it would be more interesting to buy these designs for themselves and then create their garments through the seamless process rather than follow the distilled down, you know, mass trend okay now everybody's wearing yellow linen shorts yeah this this <laughs> season amazing you know um so are you saying are you saying okay so um there's different levels of design right like designers like the super high-end designers create their collections and they get shown on the runways and then like then you have like the next level of designers that usually base their designs off of like those like the super high-end designers so are you saying are you are you envisioning that the individual instead of like getting the distilled down designs could take would or would take the designs from like the super high-end designers and then get so you would skip all of those like middle level of distilled designs was it, I, I i see the day when people will design for themselves mm. all the people and it would be normal it would mm-hmm. be custom it would be for them uh measurements it w- could be to their personality you know um instead of maybe using this this mass trends mm. which which don't really exist you know it's it's like a it's like a sky it looks blue but it's not really there because if you go from earth to you know stratosphere it then, then disappears it's just the mm-hmm. illusion of, mm. <laughs> of blue mm-hmm. um so i'm just i always like to dream um when uh when i was i think maybe six or eight and our tv was a metal box with a hole burned through because it, it started burning at some point so and uh <laughs> the knobs were gone so we had pliers to turn it <laughs> to turn the three channels that we had and yeah, yeah. in order to turn it on i had to move my piano and get very far behind <laughs> <it>. <laughs> To find the outlet, I said, Mom, do you know that uh, we'll have TVs that are flat on the on the wall and they will be big and as cinema screens? She said, no, no, absolutely not. It will not be like this. I said, no, no, wait. There will be other TVs that you can roll. They will be flat. You can roll them in a tube and just, you know, throw in the wall. <laughs> it will stick there. <laughs> so you're already, you're already there. As a little kid, you already knew it. You you could see the future. <laughs> so um, so that's you. I, you still need to develop that one though. The roll yes. up stick to the wall. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's coming. <laughs> so, <laughs> but um, I, I like to dream because when you when one person dreams and tell to another person, and then like you mm. podcast, a few people will listen. Yeah. They will feel that the 
these thoughts are their thoughts eventually and they will move that direction that's how yeah. things are created in this world yeah. um so yeah i'm looking into the future where we all will create our own fashion job for us will self-express in a real way and i have a caveat to that i have a caveat to that we need designers like not all of us are good like my husband i could never see him trying to de design his own thing like he'll just he just wants a black t-shirt he just yeah, wants like but he could get like the best black t-shirt like made of the best materials that fits his body exactly the way he wants it to fit exactly but then he can that's exactly this is the process of designing you mm. know we just described in a very a uh, few few words the, the process of improving like mm. okay so he he wears a t-shirt and and one maybe he doesn't like he would tell you oh, i think that this sleeve is too long or too small or too narrow You're absolutely right he yeah. will express yeah. it and then he can literally change it you know that is design yeah you're right <laughs> so good point yeah. yeah because a lot of design especially innovation comes from uncomfortabilities Mm. You know, I'm comfortable with something. I speak to so many uh, founders of brands and they said, I couldn't find it on the market. I created it because I couldn't find it on, on the market. So mm. many. Mm -hmm. So, and I, I think that the, you know, big designers should design and people at least will be able to use their design directly as inspiration. You know, maybe it's a subscription to Galliani, you get for a year if you like this design, <laughs> and you just buy their design on mass level, mm. as opposed to design goes through all these stages of dumbing down mm. and gets to I don't know mass the most mass retailer. Oh, uh, I wish I wish I could take a peek into like twenty years from now, like what kind of clothes people are wearing, because yeah, the availability of customization is like everybody wants that everybody wants clothes that fit their bodies better and fits their unique design vision better so um that's something that you know like uh, as businesses you want to tap into like what people want right like what's going to be successful is if you can satisfy a need that people want and that's not going anywhere anytime soon like the the want for clothes that fit well and fit your your aesthetic exactly another thing i feel like is forgotten uh with clothes so is with food um the clothes began as a nourishment to your body it's something that would keep you either cool or mm. warm you know mm. it had it had this function it's to, essential yeah essential for survival essential, essential for, exactly um i and we kind of forgot about this uh, because clothes now almost like we would wear uncomfortable clothes <laughs> just to look trendy mm. and cool and be accepted by the tribe that we want to be in um it lost it lost the essence um uh, by much <laughs> and uh, i i wish i wish people will will kind of you know gain it back um and that that you know even pre custom in pre customization stages in the near future, uh, hopefully they will just remember what clothes really means and why why we need it. It's not a, it's not a they use it as you know uh, embodiment of status or mm. 
um, anything, anything, you know, or wealth, you know, kind of they want to show wealth uh, with their clothes. Mm. But the the main purpose of clothes is to keep your body kind of healthy, alive, and I guess in, mm, in that's a deep, that's a deep, deep very complicated question. I think there's so much you could unpack with that. You could do a whole degree talking about like why we wear clothes, right? Because like there's so many, like it could be so yeah. So for like your um like I said, like for, for survival, like maybe you need them, but there's also like, yeah, there's for status, it could be for religion. And I don't know, I, I don't know if we could ever. I can, I don't know if we could ever like culturally separate those things. You know what I mean? Like it will always, <laughs> the clothes that you choose, like the, what you choose to express yourself with, like, well, as humans, we're always going to read that as some type of signal. Right. So like yeah. when you, when you, like whatever you're wearing, like the people that see you or even you yourself feel like there's, there, it carries certain judgments with it or maybe judgments like negative (laughs) information yeah information about who this individual is that I'm interacting with so that's a super interesting question I feel like we could (laughs) go on and on about that one yeah and if we if we dream uh way beyond our uh, means (laughs) of reality um I think the last stage probably of close development will be somewhere in biochemistry uh, mm. uh I love you just like you just like pop it out of your skin like this is my garment for today well they're close maybe it's applied to your skin um uh, mm. maybe maybe you kind of grow it somewhere out I love it I love it yeah printer out of the uh body friendly mm. uh, human friendly bacteria but um I, you know, it's, it's very interesting. Biochemistry is one of the um, uh, sciences that are, is developing and have very high hopes in terms of developing of biomass for, uh, you know, consumption mm. as food, but mm-hmm. why not use it as clothes? Because I feel yeah, like- Yeah, exactly. There's like the mushroom leather. That's one thing that comes yeah, to mind right now. I think it's Stella McCartney that was developing it's that. William. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That is, so we see, we don't like see it, see it <laughs> on, mass, on mass level, but there are very um, many, many steps, many companies yeah. are working on that. Yes. Yeah you know I know it's the sparks it's the the ideas that are needed it's the fact that those ideas need to be grown and cultivated in the right Mm -hmm. settings to and I mean as I I think a big part of that is identifying the problems like we have this huge problem of that we're destroying the earth right like we're doing it in so many ways and like and uh and we because of our culture and our background and the industrial revolution are used to things working that the way they are and the new generation is like you're ruining our earth like can you stop but like well so many people like it's so like we're just on this like the momentum is carrying us forward so it's hard to make that change and the more that we talk about it and bring that bring these ideas up to consciousness the more that they can hopefully be grown absolutely absolutely but I think biochemistry and um, I, I mean, we 
we house, we are condominium of bacteria already. Mm. We have billions, gazillions amount of it in our like microbiome, mm. you know, and uh, so <laughs> we are already, we have this really friend, friendly, friendly bacteria microbes that live in our bodies and support our system and clean our bodies. So why, you know, we've already kind of made peace with them um somehow not use it as, as our clothes because you know th there is a multitude of designs that can be created in multitude of colors and all elements of design is there texture and everything you you want to imagine mm -hmm. so that's how i see that's what i, see I can't now. what's i'm trying to make the leap so so yes our bodies um are full of these micro micro are we our, our bodies organisms <laughs> yeah our microorganisms um so are you like how how do we get from that to clothing oh from clothing well so the my the biomass is now being developed and grown into these huge tanks but many companies that want Bi to biomass be meaning like from our bodies like bacteria from our bodies well bacteria bacteria oh just in, bacteria just, in, being, just in the world that exists bacteria not necessarily from not human bacteria but just bacteria right bacteria okay. is, is created to feed people to create okay. products out of this biomass okay okay so if something okay so can... you you're saying we could turn that into a material that our bodies exactly. and then and then if you're creating materials from biomass <laughs> um so turning that into some type of material that we could turn into clothing and then it would be also um biodegradable because it's Absolutely. made from it's another fantastic thing about it um it will be very sustainable it will be custom made it will be mm. friendly to the body because now you we have uh fabrics with additional um uh qualities that are moisturizing they have different threads that affect body body in a positive way so and what I imagine would be growing this body-friendly bacteria and applying it most likely as 3D printing mm -hmm. method as opposed to creating like another another layer between you and and your garment. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we can print like heart valves right now, right? Yeah, like we can exactly. print like organs. So absolutely. Exactly. Why wouldn't we be able to print like organic clothing exactly absolutely yeah. like from yeah. let's say organic matter you can call that hmm. so it's just i feel like um so somebody i spoke with who actually an investor investor in the in innovative companies and biochemistries is one of his you know companies that he invests that creates funds funds the uh companies that build tanks to grow biomass okay and okay. grow it's it's in tanks so and when i proposed uh making clothes 3d printing like making clothes out of biomass he said well when you put um it's it's not it's not humanly um to um put person into biomass tank to apply uh biomass on him there's um actually i watched this cool youtube video recently um about a company in california that's um making chicken like mm. they're they're they've actually taken like chicken and they make them in tanks <laughs> 
I can link this video, but um, okay. yeah, it's no, they're literally yeah they're making chicken without the animals. It's super interesting. Oh wow! Oh wow! Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's exciting and scary at the same time. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Exactly. Both I talked to my husband about it. <laughs> yeah. And and we we're like, I was like, isn't that so cool? Like that's amazing. He was like, yeah, but like, what if this one company? got like a monopoly on that product and now we don't know how to farm anymore because we can only make chickens in factory like in these like these big tanks and right. yeah just there's always um alternate problems that arise when we but then it goes to something else it goes to the another industry that's developing very quickly now which is space exploration mm. and if we start thinking about our clothes, uh, I think our clothes making and eventually will be informed by that industry. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, right, mm -hmm. it's a serious move to another planet. So you have to be like really prepared, right? Uh, and we'll have to rethink our methods of clothes making. Or mm. in the beginning, we would have to uh, not take our whole wardrobe, right? but take very essential, very smart, very hybridized items. So we take as little as we possibly mm -hmm. could. I, remember I know when you, when you get into fashion, like when you get into fashion, you start seeing sci-fi movies completely differently. Like there's this one called the silo right now that I'm watching. It's a um, series and it's about this, these people that live basically in a hole in the earth. Like this, the, the, over a hundred years before somebody created this hole in the earth that they're living in and they all have like it's all self-sustaining so there's farms in there and there's there's everything that they could need but they're living under the ground and they don't know why and they're not allowed to ask questions and but they all have there's like all these outfits like everybody has a different outfit <laughs> and I'm like yeah. I don't think like are, there's no factories producing new clothes down there you know what I mean like who's making the cloth who's making the yarns like that this doesn't make any sense at all well they themselves this yeah that's the true maybe they have all of that right? maybe they have it all <laughs> yeah yeah and actually i feel like this idea of going back to the idea of clothes making we we were there we were very sustainable in in 50s we mm. were making our own clothes there mm. were like so many things we lost we mm. uh created plastic and then we lost the sustainable uh, way of our living. But we used to go to the tailor and mm -hmm. custom made clothes, right? Before the clothes became uh, mm -hmm. a production. And now it's impossible to find a tailor. Like where I live, there you wouldn't be able to find somebody. There's exactly. there's there's a little company that create like there's a small um a small business that makes stuff. But it, she's not a tailor. Like, you wouldn't go in there and get yourself fitted, you know. Yeah, yeah. But so tailors made clothes, but also people themselves made clothes as well. Mm -hmm. And I see I see the trend picking up now on Instagram. I have so many uh, women that make their own lingerie. Mm -hmm. They make their clothes. It, it's very... I mean, we're so creative. <laughs> it's so super cool to watch. Yeah, yeah, for sure. There's a lot of part, a large part of this audience is the home sewing community because mm -hmm. those were my, so like if we go all the way back, um, 
the 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 way that I started in the industry was by creating illustrations. I was like, what's a skill that I can develop that would be useful? And it was Illustrator. So I, I started creating illustrations and I reached out to home pattern makers and I said, I can do your illustrations, specifically intimate apparel, because that's what I was interested in in learning. And um I'm making these illustrations and I'd be like, oh, wouldn't it be nice to look at this from like a side view or an inside view? And then I discovered Clothe 3D and I was like, why, why don't we all use Clothe 3D? <laughs> but, um, even, yeah, it's even hard to like, because like the illustrations are the way it's done. It's hard to get um, anybody else on board with that all the time. But um, where was I going with this? Oh, the, the home. So, so a lot of the, um, a lot of this audience is the home sewing community. So, um, I think we've taken them on quite a journey today into like the future. (laughs) But the good thing that they are on the right track. Mm. Yeah. Whatever they they make. Exactly. And even just the knowledge, (laughs) even just the knowledge of knowing how it's done, knowing that when you do it, there's, there's another human being out there going through the same process of maybe not like step-by-step, like it's, it's usually done in, in pieces, right? Like you're like in a factory, like one seam is being sewn by one person a hundred times, but um, just it's the, the construction concept is the same. Like you take your piece of fabric, you cut out your pattern and it gets sewn by people on machines. Like that's um, just, just understanding that just having a little bit more connection to the, to the way the world works. Absolutely. Oh my goodness. What a, what a journey we had today. <laughs> it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Um, we are well, wow. This is like definitely one of the longest podcasts I've ever recorded. And it's been amazing. I just, I'm just looking through my notes to see if there was anything that I really wanted to get to. Oh, I'm going to visit New York, um, with my team, uh, Kristen Anderson. Do you have any recommended places that I must see in New York, specifically for laundry, but or or anything else? Sorry, I have to put my um connect my power because my power is because we've gone so long. <laughs> okay, um, so in New York, fantastic. By the way, Trudy, um, uh, I would love to meet you when you are in New York. Ooh, that would be fun. Let me know; it will be fantastic. Um, yes. And yeah, I admire both of you greatly in what you do. And uh, in New York, I think the whole city now is fantastic. You know, just kind of walking the streets. I'm trying to quickly think what is my favorite part. part. I still love Midtown because there's so much history for me there. Uh, It's not the same anymore, however. Is that the garment district? It's a garment district, mm. Bryant Park. Um, but I think any place you would spend your time, Central Park or museums. Uh, I personally love Modern Art Museum, MoMA and Whitney Museums. <laughs> I'm a museum bug. And uh, But any place you go, it's just the city is beautiful. But if you want to get like super excited with the with, like, beautiful buildings, it's Hudson Yard. Okay. And I would definitely walk the High Line, which will take you through the heart of the city and you will see everything, everything. Okay. Okay. Awesome. I've taken some notes. One. Okay. So normally I ask, normally I ask to, to wrap up the podcast, what's your favorite part and least favorite part of being a designer? But as you were speaking, I wrote it down because you've had this whole like journey through the industry. I mean, and you've had various dreams that you've shared with us. What's your current dream? 
what what are you what 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 are you looking what do you look forward to seeing and achieving my current dream because now i'm i'm writing about the industry but m mostly i write about people about creative their creativity their journey their you know achievements their failures to me it's extremely extremely interesting and showcasing their talent their potential <laughs> so i see my next career in writing in public public relations um i would like to expand from just intimate apparel to different industry because I'm very passionate about so many other things, about health, longevity, um, food, travel. So, so I um, I want to continue just you know create beautiful publications, maybe photo shoots, um, everything that helps to tell the story of. I don't know, humanity. No. Yeah. I love it. I love it. That's a beautiful dream. And and I look forward to watching your evolution because you're doing it in public. Whatever you do in public, I all enjoy watching. Oh, thank you so much, Trudy. And uh, thank you so much for having me today and asking amazing questions and speaking about so many things and bringing so much depth into conversation. I'm eternally grateful. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for being here. You're an amazing guest. It was super fascinating conversation and I'm glad we got to do it. Yeah, me too. Thank you. All right. Bye.